The huge infrastructure problems that we have will be leapfrogged immediately. You won't need brick and mortar buildings. You don't need physical teachers to be in a classroom. You don't need kids to have a bus to get to school. Pit toilets will be eliminated because it won't be required. So we're actually eliminating a lot of the educational problems because now kids, all they need is a device and a button to click. That's my colleague, Ruan Neuster, who's the associate editor of Business Maverick. Ruan's a financial journalist, but she's also a qualified teacher. And what's been getting her all fired up lately are the new opportunities she's seeing for ways to help fix South Africa's troubled education system. What's brought this all to the fore, counterintuitively, is a crisis. The COVID-19 lockdown, which has seen kids across the country suffer extended gaps in their education. When COVID hit, a lot of these new things were popping up about how to address these kids who couldn't go to school or, or teachers were, who were under quarantine. The solutions are quite extraordinary. The technology is there. The problem is, how do we scale it and how do we get buy-in from government? Ruan's enthusiasm was infectious, so we decided to check it out. On this week's episode, we're looking into the ways in which South Africa's teachers, NGOs and businesses have been using technology to give children an education while they can't physically attend school. And we're asking, could some of these emergency measures hold the key to improving South Africa's education system when normal life resumes? Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, the Daily Maverick podcast where we bring you the stories behind the stories. I'm Rebecca Davis. The problems with South Africa's education system are well known. Almost half the pupils who enter grade R drop out before matric. Studies have shown a significant portion of children are still functionally illiterate and have not mastered basic numeracy after as much as six years full-time schooling. And not only does South Africa have one of the worst performing education systems in the world for middle-income countries, but also one of the most unequal. Earlier this year, it was reported that children in the top 200 schools achieve more distinctions in mathematics than children in the next 6,600 schools combined. The vast majority of public schools have no libraries, and over 4,000 schools have only illegal pit latrines as a substitute for toilets. In KwaZulu-Natal, more than 200,000 pupils still walk for more than an hour each way to attend school. I spoke to Dr. Lynn Bowie, who's a visiting associate at Litz University and also the maths coordinator for the NGO Olico Mathematics Education. She says that one of the other ways in which kids at under-resourced schools are hard done by is because they frequently have so little classroom time. Kids at poor schools actually get very little time on task that a number of the schools that we work in even in non-COVID times, are closed by 10 in the morning because there's no water in the school or because there's a union meeting that's, that has to be attended by the teachers or whatever. South Africa's maths education is a particular problem. Over the past years, there's been a steady decline in the number of matrix writing maths exams and the number of matrix passing them. 
Lynn says the reasons behind this are many, including having teachers who have themselves only been exposed to a poor quality maths education. There's also a kind of culture of sort of it being okay to be bad at maths, that maths is this terribly scary subject and that, you know, I didn't do well at maths. Don't worry, you know, you'll never do well at maths. What we'd like to have instead is an idea of, hey, this subject, yeah, it has challenges, but those challenges are exactly what you need to meet. And if you meet those challenges, it's exciting. So all those little things, you need to persevere in order to break through some of those barriers in maths. We need a lot more sort of positive engagement in order for kids to feel like they can do it. They need to, yeah, perseverance is probably my my strong word for that. So the situation going into 2020 was far from rosy. And experts agree that the COVID-19 lockdown, which has meant interrupted schooling for five months and counting, is likely to have a disastrous impact. In a paper Lynn recently wrote with a colleague, she pointed out that in 2005, learners in Pakistan had a three-month break from school due to earthquakes. Four years after the earthquake, they were still one and a half years behind their peers. Yeah, it is going to be a, a really big problem and we're seeing it already. A lot of learners, particularly from poor schools, have literally had no education in this period of the lockdown. So they've kind of had a a large gap of five months. And we kind of know that that means that the work that they did at the beginning of the year in maths, because it hasn't been consolidated at all, they're likely to have forgotten quite a lot of what they did in the beginning of the year. So they're essentially only starting school again now. And then in addition to which, what we're finding out from the schools that we work with is that our younger learners in high school, grade eight and nine, but also quite a number of the other grades are only going to be going back maybe one day a week. We've heard in some cases only one day every two weeks for the rest of the year. And so there's going to be very little chance of building up any kind of momentum. So that's the bad news. But there is a silver lining to this, and that is to be found in the ways in which technology has been harnessed in the middle of this emergency to try to address the situation with surprisingly positive results. I'm Joanna Reynolds, and I work at Axiom Education as Head of Education, which sounds very grand, but it means that I oversee all of our academic programs. My background is as a maths and English high school teacher, and now I work in the rural Eastern Cape. When Joanna says she works in the rural Eastern Cape, she really means it. I'm really privileged to live in a very rural area on a homestead with Makulu and Tatumkulu and really accepted into their family and just such a privilege for me and my family. It's near-ish to Mtata, so we're about an hour and a half from Mtata towards the coast very near Hole in the Wall and Coffee Bay and that, but just a little bit less tourist side. Joanna and her team work with around 3,200 learners from 25 schools in two districts. When the COVID-19 lockdown hit, they started scrambling for ways to ensure that these kids could keep receiving lessons. The obvious answer, smartphones. 
One of the things you'll often hear about South Africa is how widespread smartphone ownership is now, despite high poverty levels. A report in January 2020, for instance, estimated smartphone penetration to be at 90% of the population. And that might be true, but if so, it turns out that a good portion of that excluded 10% must fall in the rural Eastern Cape. In a city, you take it for granted that everyone has a phone, but where we are, everyone does not have a phone. (laughs) And when they do have phones, it's often phones that don't actually have the internet. So it's like an old feature phone that only really has SMS and, and phone calls. So when we started this journey, Firstly, we were contacting a lot of kids only through like a parent's phone or a sister or brother or some family member's phone. So there was a whole negotiation about when and whether the child was even given access to the phone. Then there's the problem that even when smartphones were available, not all smartphones are created equal. Firstly, they have so little space that you have very, very limited apps that you can put on them. And secondly, a lot of them have issues with eating data. That's what the kids say, that the phones eat data. So if you send normal data to them, it just like a gigabyte will go in a day on random updates and stuff that you can't switch off. Joanna's organization raised money to supply kids with basic but reliable smartphones. And the answer to the data problem turned out to be supplying children with WhatsApp data, data which can only be used for WhatsApp. WhatsApp quickly emerged as the best platform on which to run online teaching services. One of the advantages, which Lynn also mentioned, is that it enables learners to receive tuition from teachers who might be thousands of miles away. We've been able to link kids up, for example, with teachers on a different continent or in a city who are then able to take WhatsApp lessons with them that they wouldn't have had access to otherwise. You know, not everyone's able to relocate to a rural area to teach, but they might be willing to do some hours in the evening for evening lessons via WhatsApp. It's easy to see the potential for this outside of lockdown too, because one can imagine there must be many city dwellers who might be up for volunteering to do some tutoring at night from the comfort of their homes over WhatsApp for kids in rural areas. And Joanna says that WhatsApp lessons have been a big hit with the learners. You set the class time, the class is going to start at 4pm. Teacher logs on says, hi everyone, please raise your hand or send a little emoji if you're present. All the kids who are present online send their emojis. Teacher greets the class, says hi, and starts presenting the lesson. Sending images, sending voice notes, sending PDFs in some cases, though that can be a problem for kids to open, depending on space and stuff. Kids then respond. Some of the teachers said one things they love are that the kids can respond privately to the teacher. It's always a problem that kids feel ashamed to ask a question if they think they should know it already. But if they can privately ask the teacher and then the teacher responds in public but not saying who asked, then the teacher says, um, some of you are confused about X, Y, Z and, and the question is answered without anyone feeling embarrassed or ashamed. So that's something that teachers have really highlighted as a big win of doing lessons in this way. For those of us who use WhatsApp solely to chat or swap stupid memes, the idea of WhatsApp as a serious educational tool can be hard to wrap your head around. To be honest, I still didn't understand totally how it worked. So I asked Joanna to give me a practical example. 
let's take metric history, right? So you'd say, okay, guys, today we're going to talk about the establishment of apartheid laws in, in 1949. So to start off, I'm going to send you a one page document to read. Please take the next five minutes to review it on your own. And then you wait for five minutes and you say, all right, so here are three questions that I want you to answer. What was the first law to be introduced? You'd ask some questions. Then you'd say, maybe have a multiple choice so that kids can respond quickly. I've seen teachers very successfully putting students into smaller groups to discuss. So say, you know, you three and you three and you three go off and have a private discussion about this and come back with one answer from your group. And then towards the end of the lesson, you'd say, any questions from the class, you can ask me privately or in the group. And then you say, okay, it's time to close up. Before our next lesson, I'd like you to complete this activity and then drop the activity in. Joanna says that WhatsApp opens up extra opportunities for private check-ins from teachers which you might not ordinarily have time for in a busy classroom. It also provides the chance to do multi-level teaching. In other words, you can group children according to what they need rather than their age. Lynn's organization, Olico Mathematics Education, has been using WhatsApp in a similar way. But inspired by their experiences during lockdown, they're also working on a longer-term project, a WhatsApp hotline available to any student in South Africa. So learners can simply send a message to the WhatsApp hotline if they're having trouble with any of the work they're doing at school. And this was in response to the fact that we were seeing that kids were only going to be able to be back at school maybe one or two days a week and therefore would be given work to do at home that they would need to continue with on their own. And so this WhatsApp hotline is simply open to kids to be able to send a, a message, reach out, get help from a tutor and be able to get supported in that way. That's proving to be very useful. We've only been running it for two weeks now and proving to be a very useful tool. We're getting quite a lot of response from learners and a lot of learners from all over the country logging in and asking for help from our tutors. But smartphones aren't the only mechanism being used to teach and learn from afar at present. When we're back, the private sector company, which has created video lessons of almost the entire South African curriculum, and put them online for free. Thank you for listening to Don't Shoot the Messenger. If you're in the mood to do us a favor, we'd hugely appreciate it if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show, or leave us a review. This helps other listeners find the podcast, which helps us keep making it. You're the best. So WhatsApp is only one of the virtual tools being harnessed to help learners with their education over this time. The Department of Basic Education has also rolled out a multimedia educational program using three SABC TV channels, 13 radio stations, and a YouTube channel. And in June, it was also reported that around 100,000 indigent households were to be provided with free high-definition TVs to this end. Within the private sector, too, there's also been a rush to produce online materials. Private school group Kuro has launched an entirely online school where learners study at home using a mix of video materials and live lessons. They stress, by the way, this is different from homeschooling because learners have constant access to teachers. There are a number of other similar initiatives taking off. 
with fees ranging from about 3,000 Rand per year for the early grades to about 25,000 for matrix. These options are cheaper than conventional private schooling, but still out of reach for many South Africans. But one private company, DigiCampus, is offering free access to video lessons covering almost the entire South African curriculum, from grade R to matric. Here's DigiCampus director, Dani Dutoy. Our first part of the process was basically to complete the full school curriculum from grade R to grade 12 in seven of the uh, national languages, predominantly in video. We're 80% there. I think at this stage in time, we're sitting on about nine, just over 9,000 video classes of various subjects in four languages. One of the most interesting features of the DigiCampus video classes is that while normal South African school lessons last around 40 minutes, these video classes are only five to 10 minutes long. I asked Dani what the cause of this discrepancy was. Dani says that at this stage, digital learning can only ever be a supplementary tool to the real thing because of the infrastructure challenges involved, particularly to do with the internet. South Africa's often maligned telecommunications networks did step up during lockdown to zero rate a number of learning sites, meaning materials could be downloaded for free. But there have been calls by advocacy groups for this to be extended much more widely and well beyond lockdown. But though you might be able to cover content in a much more efficient time frame, Dani warns that taking teaching online is actually a pretty complex endeavor. I think people expect that you can convert your current physical school just to a digital school. It doesn't really work like that. There's a lot more involvement from a digital school perspective that people don't understand necessarily quite expensive. You can't expect of a current teacher to fulfill the roles on the digital school side. You could potentially have 300 people in the classroom. There just won't be time. So effectively, it's a huge investment from a human perspective. You'll have to appoint additional teachers. The way and the approach is different. But the most important one is your digital content or your digital class is a different environment than your physical class. To put it in simple terms, if you need to have a class on a screen the whole day, your content must be as such that you keep the people or learners interested. There's also a general sense that government needs to wise up to the opportunities offered by remote learning, not just during a pandemic. Unfortunately, by the way, this sector has not been immune from the looting frenzy that transpired after Treasury announced that normal procurement processes could be bypassed in the COVID-19 emergency. Daily Maverick's investigative unit, Scorpio, reported in May that one of Iqbal Survey's subsidiary companies had been awarded a dodgy tender worth 160 million rand for e-learning services in the Eastern Cape without any competitive bidding process. But with above-board government buy-in, the lockdown has shown that there are ways for South African children to learn which could be useful in normal times as well. Both Lynn and Joanna say that their organizations are going to be maintaining many of the digital learning techniques developed out of necessity during this crisis. Yet both agree that even the most sophisticated online education resources cannot fully substitute for the in-person interactions with peers and teachers, which are indispensable for most learning environments. 
we've definitely seen <laughs> that the, the personal relationship makes a massive difference. So that the tutor or the teacher is utterly crucial. And some of that can definitely happen online, but I think that face-to-face is definitely easier. But the other thing that we've learned over the years is that there is something about the learners themselves providing a, a kind of group for each other. So one of the things we've seen in our after-school programs is one of the benefits is that the learners form this alternative kind of group that are serious about their studies, want to go places, and they kind of then have a support system of the others who are attending this after-school program so that they almost have this kind of positive peer influence on each other. And that's crucial too. So I would be very hesitant to take everything into remote learning, tech-based learning, because I don't think we can underestimate the power of the personal and the personal connection, both between teacher and kids and within the, the student body itself. In other words, don't expect smartphones, flat screens or websites to save South African education just yet. But the tools developed during the COVID-19 lockdown just might give learners a much needed boost. Don't Shoot the Messenger is a podcast brought to you by The Daily Maverick. This episode was produced by Haji Mohammed Dauji with sound engineering, editing and support by Bernard Kotzer, Tevia Turok-Shapiro and Catherine Kotzer. You can listen to Don't Shoot the Messenger on The Daily Maverick's website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. For more, subscribe to The Daily Maverick's newsletters and follow us on Twitter and Instagram.